Chapter 2. Growing Up in Australia Life on Main Street, Edmonton Growing up in Australia in the 1970s must surely have been one of the best times in history to grow up. My memories of this time are all about nature, family and community. My father, Tom Pine, had worked as a wood machinist for Queensland Rail, a car salesman for Advanced Toyota and as a builder's labourer to fill in gaps. In 1978, he decided to try his hand at private enterprise. Consequently, our family embarked on the adventure with him. There were two petrol stations in Edmonton owned by George Lee, one at the south end, which he ran, and one at the north end, leased to his brother, Dennis. The brothers came to Australia from China many years previously. However, by the end of the 1970s, Dennis decided that he wanted to move to Sydney. Tom was great mates with George. When he found out from George that Dennis wanted to move, he decided this was an excellent opportunity. Consequently, he signed a three-year lease to run his business, which was registered as Tin Sang & Co. The shop was on the main street, the Bruce Highway. All the businesses on the highway received the benefit of passing traffic. Let me introduce George Lee and his wife, Marcella. George Wing Kwong Lee was a well-known Edmonton trader. His father, Thomas Lee, moved from China to Australia in the early 1920s. Like many Chinese, Thomas panned for gold in the Palmer River in the 20s, returning home to China every four years. As a result, it was no coincidence that all of his children in China were born four years apart. Thomas later set up a store in Edmonton. He then sent for his eldest son, George, to come to Australia to join him. George Lee came to Australia by ship from Hong Kong in the mid-1930s. The young teenager travelled alone to join his father and help run their grocery store in Edmonton in far away, far north Queensland. In the 1940s, Thomas, who by then had eight children and a second wife, returned to China, passing away in the late 1940s. After Thomas left Australia, George moved to Thursday Island, where he owned a cafe and shop with his cousin Vincent Lee Moon. While in TI, George met the love of his life, Marcella Barola, who was born on Thursday Island and whose mother was born on Darnley Island and her father was from Timor. George and Marcella eventually moved to Edmonton in 1956 and George bought the shop that his father previously owned in Edmonton, Lee's service station on the Bruce Highway. It became well known and patronised. Many locals worked there over the years, including my mother, Marion Pine. George also bought a second business in Edmonton for his younger brother, Dennis. Dennis then moved to Australia to manage Edmonton's second service station. George and Marcella had six children, Rasma, Christina, Alan, Kevin, Susan and Jasmine. The shop. Our business, Ting Sang & Co, included two petrol bowsers out the front and a small general store inside. There was a house out the back where we lived. Living in the heart of a small country town in far north Queensland, would have been dull for many, but I was excited 
to move into a house just behind the shops in the main street. While it seems very small time now, the increased activity and movement of people in and out of the shop was a new and engaging experience for me. However, the greatest thrill was finding what we called the lolly cabinet, which stood in the corner of the shop. It held everything from freckles, they were small, round pieces of chocolate covered in hundreds and thousands, to the 100 gram Cadbury chocolate bar. This was enough to make my 12-year-old eyes pop and my tummy rumble. I decided my future was in the service industry, the self-service industry, the neighbourhood. It may be just me, or perhaps we all have a certain clarity about what happened when we were 12, yet have trouble remembering what happened last week. As an illustration, I remember the shops along the highway like it was yesterday. How they looked, how they smelt, and the people who ran them. They were from north to south, Neil Gill's Butcher Shop, Edmonton Post Office, Tom's Tin Sang & Co, the TAB, off-track betting, Keith Ald's Chemist Shop, Terry O'Farrell's News Agency, Jeff Donaghy's Butcher Shop, Shalami's Bakery, and Gus and Tina Slavic's Fish and Chip Shop. That was my immediate hood. Then came the Grafton Hotel, the Hamilton Hotel, and the two local general stores, Piconi's and Cavallaro's. Further south was the police station, and then George Lee's petrol station came after Collinson Creek. Piconi's was owned by the town's most successful business person, Lou Piconi. It was similar to the supermarket of today. However, Cavallaro's was a more ramshackled old store, run by two Italian brothers, Dino and Alfie. It had a wide array of goods with the smell of freshly ground coffee in the air. Shopping there was a real adventure. Growing up in Australia and floods. One summer's night in 1977, we experienced rainfall the like of which I had never known. The rain was hitting our roof heavily when I went to bed and it just kept coming down throughout the night. By the morning, the drain behind our house had bust its banks and a foot of water was flowing through our yard. Thankfully, the house was on cement stumps a foot and a half high. However, none of the shops were. My parents quickly opened their shop and moved as much of the stock as they could to higher shelves. I remember my mum saying, Tom, the pumpkins are floating out the door, and reflecting on the surreal nature of the comment as Dad sloshed towards the door to reclaim his floating pumpkins. For us children, it was an exciting adventure. I found my kayak and paddled up and down the drain at the front of all the shops. The drain had turned into a much bigger pool, lying to the west of the submerged highway. Paddling up and down amused me for quite a while. Growing up in Australia and making trouble. Anyone close to me during my prepubescent years probably knew that I was a pyromaniac. Thankfully not an arsonist, but I was definitely a pyromaniac. Considering this, living behind a petrol station was probably not the safest place to grow up. A 44-gallon drum with a hand pump full of petrol was located at the back of the shop. 
Looking at it one day, I reflected on how magical it was that fire would follow any pattern you drew, as long as you drew it in petrol. I took the nozzle out of the hand pump and drew a large figure eight on the ground. Then I took a match and lit it up, watching as the flames followed the pattern I had drawn, just like a string of prearranged dominoes falling perfectly in place. Unfortunately, the flames did not stop at the end of what I had drawn. They followed the drips and drops all the way back up the nozzle of the hand pump, which, still in my hand, became engulfed in flames. I heard Mum scream, and two of the store owners, Neil Gill and Joe Shalemi, arrived on the scene. With no thought to his own well-being, Shalemi grabbed a rag and held it over the end of the nozzle. His logic was simple. A fire needs oxygen, so if I cut off the oxygen, the fire will stop. I could not fault his logic. Nevertheless, his walking up to a full drum of petrol with flames coming out of the pump was one of the bravest things I had seen. Making mischief. Behind the police station in Cattle Street was a fenced lot where the police stored motor vehicles that had been confiscated for one reason or another. I jumped the fence a few times to play in the cars. On one occasion, I realised many of the car batteries had nice clear marbles inside. I found as many as I could, and it made me king of the kids the next day at school. One day, on such an escapade, I was in the back of an old car when I found a bag under the driver's seat. When I pulled it out, it was full of 10 and 20 cent pieces. Myself and my young mates felt like we had won the lotto. We scampered away from the police station and down to the shops to feast on fish and chips and lollies purchased with our ill-gotten gains. Growing up in Australia in rugby league. Politics was not my number one passion growing up. That place was reserved for rugby league. At this time, Edmonton had its own junior rugby league teams and some of the local 11 and 12 year olds would tumble into the back of Dad's Toyota carrier van every Saturday and head into town to play local rivals, Cairns Wests. A group of 12-year-olds tumbling into a van without seatbelts, or even seats, was something we thought nothing of back then. No parents expressed any concerns when Dad called to take their precious children in the back of the van to the footy. One of the great things about growing up in Australia back then was mixing with other children, especially Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, who became close friends. Rob the Stinker One Saturday, I was out exploring with friends not far from the Hamilton Mill. There were great pools of stinking mess, known as the mill ponds. These ponds consisted of a liquid waste from the mill. As a result, they had a consistency of quicksand and stunk to high heaven. I saw an island in the pond and I decided to jump onto it. The problem was that it was not an island at all, but a clump of grass growing on a crusty surface. As a result, I went straight through the surface and was fully submerged. Thankfully, I did resurface and with the help of outstretched hands from my young comrades, I made it back onto solid ground. Realising it was Saturday, we returned home making it just in time to head into Cairns to play rugby league. The way I smelt 
on the way to the football was indescribable, but it was worth it. I had never played better in my life. I scored four tries that day, two without even having a hand laid on me. It didn't occur to me at the time that the reluctance of the defenders may have been due to the fact that I smelt like a septic tank. It was not just my teammates who were reluctant to come near me. Far North Queensland 40 kilogram team. The highlight of 1978 for me was the 40 kilogram rugby league tournament for Far North Queensland. Our coach was an ambitious Gordon Vale school teacher by the name of Warren Pitt. It was a joy to play with the other boys, many of whom were a year older than me and who I'd looked up to over previous years. I played in the same competition the following year and was named player of the carnival. I was very proud of this and continued playing rugby league throughout my childhood. My slow decline in the sport continued to the age of 22. I spent that year as a B-grade player for Ivanhoe's Rugby League Club, a season I was unable to complete due to a bad back. While I had managed an A-grade game or two for Southern Suburbs and played a representative game for Cairns, that is cold comfort when your childhood dream is to play for the mighty St George Rugby League Club. As a child, I was captivated by the St George teams that won premierships in 1977 and 1979. Before Bentley Park. It feels a little strange these days when I am in Bentley Park and visit the massive Bentley Park College. It seems only yesterday that the area was little more than two short dirt roads, Robert Road and McLaughlin Road. I knew the area well, as there were two local families with rugby league-loving sons living there, the Stones and the McLeods. The McLaughlin Road I remember was no more than a few hundred metres long, and two well-known residents were Ron McLeod and Dr McLaughlin. Dr McLaughlin lived in a property opposite where Bentley Park School is now. He lovingly referred to it as Mango Park. The property was appropriately named with mature mango trees growing at regular intervals along the long driveway into the property. Doctors had no forced retirement age at that time and Dr McLaughlin spent many of his years in semi-retirement. He even wrote the occasional script at the bar of the Hambledon Hotel. The Enraged Cane Cutter Dr McLaughlin told a good yarn. I remember him telling me and my good friend Alan Dick Whittington one such yarn while we were painting rooms in his house at Mango Park. Dr McLaughlin had given advice to a non-English speaking cane cutter who complained of getting insects in his ear. His suggested treatment involves shining a light into the ear. The insect then makes its way towards the light, thus vacating the eardrum. The good doctor was unaware his patient did not have a torch, preferring to use candles for additional light. So when a small beetle found its way into his ear, he had his wife hold a candle over his ear to attract the beetle. Holding the base of the candle near the ear, the man's wife did what may have seemed helpful. She turned the candle on its side to let more light in. Instantly, hot molten wax flowed from the candle and filled her husband's ear. Dr. McLaughlin roared with laughter 
as he described the enraged cane cutter chasing his wife down the road, swearing in a foreign tongue, cane knife in one hand, holding his ear in the other. Listening, I felt horror at the thought of a woman being chased like this, but I was assured no damage was done. Dr McLaughlin certainly was a local character, as was another local known as Chairman Tom. This was how my father was referred to following his election to head up our local council. A career change for Tom. My father's work as a service station owner and jolly grocer had been enjoyable for him and the whole family. However, it was his work as a councillor on Mulgrave Shire Council that was his most satisfying job. He had a great relationship with the mayor and other councillors, but it was engaging with the community he enjoyed the most. Dad was far too generous to be a big success in private enterprise. I can still recall how he would give away fruit and vegetables to customers and extend credit to people. However, he was a man with an optimistic attitude who would always land on his feet. During the 1970s, he served as a local councillor for the Edmonton area, which was in a municipality known as the Mulgrave Shire. His passion for council saw him make a transition from private sector survival to a highly successful career in public service. In 1979, my father replaced the retiring top man, Ken Alley, and soon became known as Chairman Tom. Dad's transition to public service was a good career move, as his outgoing nature and ability to communicate made him perfect for local politics. However, the years spent running the shop, without question, our favourite times of family. Great times growing up in Australia. What I remember most about those days in Edmonton was a powerful sense of community. My memories were of driving with Dad every Saturday in winter and picking up young friends, Marcel McLeod, Robert Stone, Nicky Bromley and other local kids and taking them in to play rugby league. Those years were as innocent as they were fun. How sad it is that to do this today, you need insurance cover, a blue card and even a coaching licence. We were blessed to live in such carefree times. All good things must come to an end. Our lease at the shop expired in 1980. We moved back to our home at 88 Mount Peter Road. This move coincided with Dad's increasing commitments to council and my transition to high school. The closest high school back then was Gordonvale State High. What I remember most about growing up in Australia in the 70s was the carefree feeling, not being under pressure from the clock, not needing to urgently complete tasks or feeling pressure to perform. At this time, there was an egalitarian ethos throughout the nation. Class was a notion that never crossed my mind, unless it related to England, usually received through BBC TV shows, rebroadcast on the ABC. However, one group was often excluded from the seemingly boundless opportunities in the region, our first people. I came to develop a passion for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, their culture and their fight for justice. I was inspired by many of their leaders who were indignant about the oppression of their people and championed the fight for human rights. End of chapter two.